Live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Real America's Voice. Glad you're in. 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Rick Delgado's here sitting in doing the news. Rick Amorati's going to have sports. Geo Fran holding it down as always. If you're trying to watch us on Pluto TV, we're aware of the issues, and Pluto TV's been made aware of the issues from Real America's Voice, and we're just waiting on Pluto TV at this point. So if you're attempting, if you're double screening the show and you're attempting to watch Pluto TV, I would encourage you to go over to Samsung TV Plus, channel 1029. If you have, direct, if you have a Dish Network, obviously, you can go there or download the America's Voice app. Go to americasvoice.news online. There's plenty of places to watch the show. And right now, Pluto TV is having some issues. So. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess they're uh, they're doing their, their imp- in, impersonation of the 76ers. I was trying to catch that on Pluto last night, actually. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll get to that in sports. Uh, Rick Emirati is going to have sports. Rick Delgado is going to do news. Lots to get to tonight. Some things we didn't get to last night. I want to go back to the Joe Manchin stuff tonight at some point, too, because I think the Joe Manchin stuff is really telling, this leaked audio call that came out. And, um, well, people give Joe Manchin a lot of credit. Not By the way, sometimes he deserves it, but people think that somehow he's not a liberal Democrat is, are just fooling themselves. Because in the end, that's, that's what he is. And... Um, Again, if we're if we're going to pin our hopes on Joe Manchin, you know, you're going to have to hold your nose and hope you can get to the finish line. And there's starting to maybe be some cracks in the in the facade. Maybe. So we'll get to this leaked call again. I played a little bit for you last night, but I didn't play for you probably the most important part of the leak call, which is uh, the filibuster. And um, some of the other things he said in this leak call that I didn't, keep to play for you because I didn't think it was all that important was that because I did see the report today about um, Mitch McConnell saying that no one's going to vote no Republican will vote for Joe Manchin's um, uh, proposed changes to try to get this HR1 I believe it was this HR1 bill through and Joe Manchin says that part of this leak call well you know Mitch McConnell right now is just the only thing he's interested in is the midterm election He's not interested in working with me or anyone else to try to get anything through. Even if there's some bipartisan support, he's only interested in the, in the midterm, winning the midterm election. So that actually makes me feel better about McConnell. That he's not trying to wheel and deal. Uh, and that he's focused on making Joe Biden a half-term president, which is what we all hope. Well, it, it is Mitch McConnell. It, it, they may ju- just not have gotten him the right deal, quote unquote, that he can, uh, yeah, you know, kind of slime away with. Well, that's always possible, but that you just know that going in. Right. That goes with most Republicans, by the way. Right. Uh, but let's start tonight with this. Uh, really, is from John Solomon and his crew, Justin News. But uh, before I get to Justin News's version, Justin News is actually kind of worked into. Matt Margolis is the great Matt Margolis who writes great stuff as well uh, over at PJ Media and he actually focuses on John Solomon's work here in his so this kind of encompasses both into one Uh, headline huge significant election irregularities exposed in Fulton County Georgia documents from Fulton now remember John Solomon was on this show last week and what did he say as we talked about a number of things, we talked about what was going on in Arizona. And what did he say? He said, I think the biggest shoe 
to drop, paraphrasing here, was going to be back in Georgia. Well, is this the start of it? Documents from Fulton County, Georgia, that were submitted to state officials for the election audit, quote, highlight significant irregularities in the Atlanta area during last November's voting, ranging from identical vote tallies repeated multiple times to large batches of absentee ballots that appear to be missing from the official ballot scanning records reporting from just the news, he says. Thousands of ballots are potentially impacted by these irregularities, suggesting they could be uh, result-changing. As Joe Biden's state-certified victory in the state was fewer than 12,000 votes, 11,000, whatever, whatever. And if you remember, Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling and everybody in Georgia, I have the tape for you here tonight just to give you a little refresher, talked about the president's phone call that I need to find 11,000 votes as if it was some big, huge threat that the president was making to that idiot Raffensperger, which was not the case. Um, he, he knew well aware, he was well aware that something didn't smell right about all of this. And basically he was saying, you know, let's go through this because it's not a lot of votes here. I need 11,000, whatever, whatever. You're not going to, don't sit on your hands now is basically what the president said to him. Uh, just the news reviewed memos that included handwritten tally sheets for all absentee ballots counted by the county, as well as a private report from a contractor hired by Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to monitor the Atlanta area election process. The report, which chronicled seven days of problems, recorded troubling behavior like the mysterious removal of a suitcase of sensitive election data known as poll pads used to authenticate voters. Quote, This is from the report. Learn that Rick reprogramming poll pads earlier was setting up a new precinct for uh, SC11 because someone took the wrong suitcase but only took one, the contractor Seven Hill Strategy wrote late on November 2nd, the night before Election Day. Before Election Day. (laughs) Quote, seems to be a a mystery who this person was. Should have chain of custody paperwork. That means that a stranger just walked out with sensitive election materials. End quote. The contractor also observed that sensitive election materials were left on a dock at a warehouse without supervision. Quote, several cases were just left out on the loading dock outside the warehouse, he wrote. Thankfully, the seals were intact. Last month, Henry County Superior Court Judge Brian Amaro unsealed approximately 145,000 Fulton County absentee ballots from the 2020 election, approving them for an audit. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported at the time that the audit, quote, cannot change the election results, which were certified months ago and have already been confirmed by multiple recounts. But the plaintiffs say an examination of ballots would get to the bottom of what they see as suspicious activity by election officials at the State Farm Arena in November. Lawyer Bob Cheely, who's leading the audit, told Just the News that the evidence he's seen so far points to, quote, election tabulation malpractice. 
Uh, though experts and state election officials disagree on whether the evidence is proof of fraud or, gro- or just gross incompetence, they are, however, mostly united in the opinion that top election supervisors in Fulton County should be removed. Just the News reviewed the Fulton County documents. Among the problems those memos exposed are the following. Number one, more than 100 batches of absentee ballots, each containing approximately 100 or more ballots, were assigned tracking numbers before being sent to one of the five absentee vote counting machines in Fulton County, but are not subsequently recorded in the handwritten log showing which batches were scanned and counted raising concerns that the ballots may be, well, missing. Number two, more than two dozen batches of absentee ballots were identified as having been double-scanned on the tally sheets. Number three, five sequential batches of absentee votes each appeared with the exact same vote count of 392 for Biden, 96 for President Donald Trump, and three for a libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen, a count that state officials admitted was a statistical impossibility number four many control sheets for absentee ballot batches counted during the state's audit did not check a box indicating the ballot came from a secure container raising the possibility that ballots were stored insecurely or that multiple batches of ballots were sealed in a single container fulton county's paperwork is also shoddy It's so shoddy that one state official said it left open the possibility that fraud or misconduct occurred. Quote, an audit is only as good as the data that's inputted. And in this case, Fulton County's records are so problematic, I'm not sure a reasonable person could even trust them, the official said. Quote, when you add in the reports of ballots magically appearing under tables or being moved out from the county center, there are legitimate, outstanding questions. And the key takeaway from all of this, I believe, as this is not the end of this article, there's a little more here, but I want to stop and play this for you before we get to the end of the first segment. These officials in, in Georgia were well aware of these issues, maybe even the issues before Election Day, certainly after. So when you remember this, cut 57G, this is Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Sterling on 60 Minutes telling us Oh, the president's basically out of his mind. There's nothing wrong here. Roll that. He was asking us to recalibrate or recalculate, I believe it was, recalculate, um, somehow get a different answer. But I'm an engineer, and uh, anyone that's good with numbers knows you, you can calculate all you want, but the numbers are the numbers. How would you describe the president's claims of vote fraud in Georgia? Fantastical, unreasonable, uh, lacking in any factual reality. The president also suggested that someone tampered with Georgia's voting machines. But Gabriel Sterling, the Secretary of State's chief operating officer, told us the state hand-counted all of the voting machine's paper ballot receipts. The state of Georgia hand-counted how many ballots? A little over five million. And when you hand-counted the five million, how did that compare to what the electronic machines were saying? They came back at 0.1053% off in the total number of ballots and 0.0099% off the margin, which is incredibly close. You would consider that to be virtually identical? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So that was the two of them back then. So back to the article now. Hypothetically speaking, if the Maricopa County, Arizona audit and the Fulton County, Georgia audit both found enough fraud to change the results in those states, Joe Biden's lead in the Electoral College would have shrunk to 279. And Trump's Electoral College vote would have been 259, which would still not be enough to alter the results of the election. Another audit may be coming to Pennsylvania. If an audit finds results-changing fraud in Pennsylvania, which the Trump campaign alleges happened, that would mean Trump's true Electoral College vote in 2020 would have been 279, and Biden's would have been 259. Unfortunately, this doesn't mean that the 2020 election would be invalidated and Trump would assume, assume the presidency again. Quite the opposite. Quote, the election was lawless. Six states allowed their delegates to vote by false certifications, but the Electoral College process happened. Uh, this is, says Jenna Ellis, by the way. The Constitution only has one process for removal of a sitting president, impeachment, and conviction. Best thing we can do now is move forward to ensure the utter disregard for states' election laws never happens again. Tune in Monday for an exclusive interview with former President Donald Trump. Don't miss Donald Trump on Water Cooler with David Brody, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B. Time to do some news. And here with that's Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? All right. Well, let's jump into it. Something that uh, will definitely catch a bunch of people by surprise. Check this out. The entire Portland Police Rapid Response Team has resigned after an officer has been indicted for breaking up an Antifa riot. Yes, you heard that correctly. The entire, the entire Rapid Response Group has uh, basically disbanded themselves following the criminal indictment of a fellow officer the entire portland police response team made the unanimous decision to resign according to police sources via the portland news outlet kxl Corey budworth 40 is the first officer in the county to be prosecuted for using force during a violent protest let that sink in the rapid response team is a group of volunteer officers who respond to civil disobedience demonstrations and riots at the time of the incident officer budworth was assigned to the rapid response team for crowd control indeed budworth Bud Worth was indicted for breaking up an Antifa riot in 2020, charged with misdemeanor fourth-degree assault. He was accused of unlawfully, knowingly, and recklessly causing physical injury to Terry Jacobs on August 18th. The video shared on social media showed the officer running and striking the protester with his baton. The woman fell down and was hit with the baton for a second time. However, it is critical to mention that the Bureau found the baton strike in question was not intentional and therefore was not considered lethal force, while the Independent Police Review Office viewed the strike as a push. Unfortunately, this decorated public servant has been caught in the crossfire of this agenda-driven city leadership and the politicization of the criminal justice system. That coming from the Portland Police. 
they said on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, the people that you hire to you know, stop the violence are now being arrested and charged for stopping yeah. the violence. And I'm sure the person the police was uh, put, uh, was going after was just all doing nothing. I'm sure they were just fine doing nothing. Oh, yeah, you know, just nothing to see here. It's yeah. uh, mostly peaceful. Yeah. yeah. Right, what else? Uh, let's see. According to this newly released recording, this is a strange story. Um, it's a video that was posted just earlier today on Twitter, appearing to show, check this out, a Florida Republican who's vying for a House seat, threatening to sell a Russian and Ukrainian hit squad after a likely primary opponent named Anna Paulina Luna. Uh, these are both GOP candidates. Following Luna's recent allegation that Braddock and two other GOP political rivals were trying to kill her, which when I read that article, I figured, you know, that sounded a little weird. Then I found this one on Just the News as well. The video of a cell phone in the kitchen was posted on a Twitter account of conservative personality Benny Johnson and appears to show the phone call between William Braddock and conservative act- activist Aaron Oslowski, uh, who appears to have a ta- who who appears to have taped the, the phone call, Braddock reportedly intended to officially file for candidacy on Wednesday. That was this past Wednesday for the House seat, but it's unclear as of today whether he had. Luna's running for the state's 13th congressional district. She obtained the temporary order of a uh, temporary injunction against Braddock, the St. Petersburg resident, last week. Uh, yeah, that's a, that is a, that is a strange story. <laughs> I saw Anna Luna, uh, I saw her post something. I couldn't figure out what she was talking about. Yeah. Well, now I know. So. so there you go. All right, let's do a little sports here. Rick Amorati's here and Rick, I know you're not feeling that good today. So we came up with a new intro for you here <laughs> oh, for sports. Roll oh, it, Jake. Just had to be marinated all day. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, the surprise. I can't believe it. Here we go. Charles Barkley, former Philadelphia 76er. His Sixers are up 38-24 over the Hawks. Joel Embiid with 17 points in the first quarter. He's come to play tonight. Don't put that voodoo on me. I'm, I'm already tweeting on Sixers Nation. Third quarter just wrapping up down in Philly. Sixers are up 87-69. Can you, you feel comfortable that? in this game? Looking pretty good for the Sixers right there. If you're a Sixers fan and you thought blowing an 18-point lead in Atlanta in Game 4 was bad, Welcome to Game 5 back home in Philly. Point one on the clock, and this is going to be an Atlanta victory in Game 5. What a comeback. So looking pretty good for the Sixers right there. Yeah, man, you gave up 40 at home in a playoff game. Uh, they just choked that away. What a disgrace. What a disgraceful performance. You blow a 26-point lead. Don't put that voodoo on me. Yeah. These playoff failures are, are it is, it's getting to the point where it's legendary. You feel comfortable in this game. Okay. I'm, I'm already tweeting on Sixes Nation. Not sure I've ever seen anything as hideous. God help the Sixes, they lose this series. Right. Y'all ain't gonna never be able to live this down. Here's what I'm gonna say. Sixes are a lock. They can't lose. You got it in the bag. Don't even think about it. Looking pretty good for the Sixes right there. <laughs> All right, it's time for sports. And here with that's Rick Amorati. What's Full going disclosure. on? <laughs> I stayed up till 4 a.m. breaking that game down last night. I was on suicidal watch. It was a bad situation, I got to tell you. That was up 165-0 and 0 when they were leading by 26 points or more in the last 25 years. Not yeah. anymore. Phenomenal. Oh, my God. Well, let's switch the subject. Let's talk about round one, U.S. Open Championship, Big D, Torrey Pines Golf Club, La Jolla, California. It's the big one everybody's been waiting for. 
And our first guy out of the gate, Russell Henley, shot a four-run to 67 today to lead the pack. Tied for second is Rafa Cabrera-Bello, who shot a three-run to 68. And Italy's Francesco Molinari, he also shot a 68. Brooks Kepka, Xander Schauffele are sitting two strokes off the lead. And your favorite golfer, Rory McIlroy, he shot a one-run to Big D. He's tied with the pack at number eight. Not that bad, actually. Phil was about six six over when I last checked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think Phil hit the bar early. By the yeah. way, that was that was not my idea. That was Gio and Fran's idea, Rick. Just so take it out on them if you have any, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Gio and Fran. I don't know if they know the difference between a basketball and a roast. They would know. <laughs> Neither did the Sixers, apparently. <laughs> yes, Fran. Good point. Wow. Fran originally from that area. I'll tell you that. Yeah. All right, let's go to Major League Baseball, boys. Let's stick with the sports here and let's not get off track. <laughs> Indians 10-3 over the Orioles. That was a final from earlier today. Also, the Giants clobbered the Diamondbacks. Same score, 10-3 to today. Yankees right now lead the Blue Jays 3-0 bottom third. Top fourth, Cubs over the Mets 2-0 out in Flushing. Uh, Cardinals and Braves bottom fourth, zip-zip. And White Sox and Astros bottom first, also zip-zip. Uh, Brewers and Iraqis, Reds, Padres, Tigers, Angels, Rays, Mariners, all coming up in the second hour. NHL action. Let's go to Long Island, Uniondale, Nassau Coliseum, the Old Barn, big game three for the Islanders tonight, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Game's just underway. Score is 0-0, five minutes into the first period. I'll have keep a report on that. I know uh, Paul Nolan is at that game as he is at all these Islander home games, and pivotal game for both teams, game three. Last night, the Canadians had a great win. They beat the Golden Knights 3-2 in Vegas to tie that series 1-1. So, we'll see. The winner of both those series go on to the Stanley Cup Finals. We can't wait for that. And NBA action, speaking of the NBA, nothing but aggravation in Mr. Amorati's life is what it stands for. <laughs> Game six, the Brooklyn Nets go to the Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee. 8.30 tip. Big game. The, the Nets are looking to close it out, Big D. They're up 3-2. And uh, that game that Kevin Durant, played all 48 minutes on Tuesday night, off the chain, 48 points for yeah. Kevin Durant. <clears throat> Kevin Durant should have the ball in his hand every play in the timeouts. They should hand him the ball and let him hold it in the timeouts huddle. Coming out of the locker room in halftime, they should just have the ball in his hand the entire night. Incredible. And real quick, we had the Euro Euro 20 championship. We're getting down to the final 16, heading for that big European championship in soccer. The Netherlands won over Austria 2-0 earlier today. Ukraine 2-1 over North Macedonia. And Belgium 2-1 over Denmark. And it was real nice. Denmark, Belgium, they paused earlier today to honor Christian Eriksen, the young man uh, who fell on, you know, actually had cardiac arrest. And uh, we almost lost him there uh, over, on, over the week. Weekend from Zach Wasink on Yard Barker, but I'll report on that in the next segment because I know we're coming tight. Okay. All right. Very good, Rick. More sports coming up. No, nothing but aggravation. Maybe a little <laughs> more of that. So we'll get to we'll see what's going on with the Islanders. Well, if the Islanders lose tonight, I may have to go sleep at Amirati's house and make sure he makes it through the night because, I mean, <laughs> it's getting tough, Big D. <laughs> All right. More to do back after this. for the Sixers right there.
right, 30 minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in on a Thursday night. We'll do some more news, more sports. Uh, one other thing, I just want to wrap up on the Justin News, the Georgia thing. I played you the 60-minute clip of Raffensperger and saying, oh, no, this was perfect here. Election was perfect, as good as it could be. Um, just to finish up from Justin News, the findings of the Justin News review closely mirror those of the private audit conducted by Chile's team under the judge's supervision. A private fraud expert hired by Chile, the forensic accountant David Sawyer, specifically flagged scores of batches of absentee ballots that appeared missing from the documents and more than two dozen batches of absentee ballots that appear to have been double or triple counted in Fulton County. Sawyer said the fact that ballot batch numbers are missing from the Fulton County audit documents contradicts the concepts of completeness and existence and accuracy of the November audit and should have been readily apparent to anyone who was performing a reconciliation, let alone an audit. And to me, that sentence speaks to, again, the officials in Georgia here knew that this was, that the existence of this was there. Uh, quote, he said, there needs to be a more fully, in, they need to be more fully investigated and they indicate the possibility that there are missing batches that might not have even been counted, he testified to the judge. Uh, county lawyers who cross-examined Sawyer offered little explanation or pushback before the judge officially ordered all absentee ballots unsealed so Chile's team could investigate more deeply. The process now is still ongoing. Chile told Justin News on Wednesday his ongoing audit has now flagged many thousands of absentee ballots that haven't been properly accounted or suffer other serious problems. Uh, quote, Fulton County's inability to account for so many batches reported from a November hand recount audit amounts to election tabulation malpractice, he said. Anyone who can count should know that this is unacceptable. This evidence produced in court on May 21st justified the audit, which Judge Amaro ordered of the absentee ballots and envelopes. So that's from just the news. So I, I think there's a lot more to come here. I think this is what John Solomon was basically referring to when he said you're going to see the biggest shoe drop uh, in Georgia. This is probably just the beginning of it. I'm sure there's more to come. There may be more to come in Arizona. There may be more to come in Pennsylvania. Um, and as much of a travesty as it is, if it all ends up coming out, if definitively it comes out and can be proven, like Jenna Ellis said, there's really nothing we can do at this point other than win, this, win the midterms and then look to 2024. Right. Uh, all right, let's do some more news with Rick Delgado. What's going on, pal? All right, speaking a little bit of uh, his favorite gentleman from Georgia, Donald Trump included screenshots of uh, recent tweets from the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, since we are talking about the election problems in Georgia. He stated, this is very big news. People are starting to see the light. Great for America, Trump wrote in a statement. Included in the statement were two tweets that Raffensperger posted on Monday saying that the counties in the state cannot continue to infringe on ballot bo drop box rules uh, and restoring confidence in our elections is going to be impossible, Raffensperger wrote, as Fulton County elections leadership continues to fail the voters of Fulton County and the voters of Georgia. They need new leadership to step up and take charge, he wrote in one tweet, which is interesting because now it seems like he's trying to get out in front of all the bad news that is coming down the pike here when it comes to 
something that he was overseeing the entire time. So that's just a little addition there to what we've been talking about when it comes to Georgia and the election problems there. Now jumping over to the Supreme Court, a couple big stories coming out of there today as the GOP-led states are slamming the Obamacare ruling that the Supreme Court ducked its constitutionality as the justices voted 7-2 to to reject the challenge from a coalition of 18 states and two individuals. Texas and other Republican states ripped the Supreme Court's decisions to uh, uphold the Affordable Care Act on Thursday, that's earlier today, uh, as they voted 7-2 to to reject that challenge, as I just mentioned. The state's case hinged on Obamacare's individual mandate which required most americans to have health insurance or face penalties republicans argued that the mandate became unconstitutional when congress eliminated the penalty in 2017 asserting the rest of the law should be struck down as a result obamacare was sold as a lie to the american people uh, attorney Ken Paxton wrote in a statement, said the individual mandate, it's unconstitutional when it was enacted, and it's still unconstitutional. Yet seven justices decided to avoid the question of constitutionality by limiting its decision to a ruling on standing. Well, after severability, we know, I mean, anybody who's surprised by this ruling today, there was a couple of rulings today. This one, I mean, I just can't see how this is a surprise. I mean, you may not like it. But, I mean, after the Chief Justice, what he's done with this law, with rewriting the rewriting it to make it a tax, and then the whole severability issue, which we've discussed on this show before, once all that happened, anyone surprised by this today really actually really surprises me. I'm not surprised by this whatsoever. All right. Well, you know what? There's another big ruling uh, coming out of the Supreme Court today. This one a little surprising, I thought, especially when I saw the count as the— uh, Supreme Court unanimously overturned a lower court ruling regarding the city of Philadelphia, barring foster children from being placed with the Catholic social services due to its unwillingness to endorse same-sex couples. In a 9-0 judgment, SCOTUS held that the city of Philadelphia's refusal to contract with CSS, that's Catholic Social Services, for the provision of foster care services, unless the agency agrees to certify same-sex couples as foster parents, violates the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. It came about after Philadelphia stopped foster kids from being placed with Catholic Social Services services of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia on the basis of its beliefs and practices on traditional marriage. Philadelphia took the extraordinary action not in response to any legal violation, nor in response to a complaint it received, but because CSS religious beliefs and practices regarding marriage, which city officials read about in a local paper, uh, noting that the Third Circuit ruled in favor of Philadelphia, considered the city's actions neutral. The city will renew its foster care contract with CSS only if the agency agrees to certify same-sex couples. This, is, this is, of course, was the question that was brought to the uh, Supreme Court. The question presented is whether the actions of Philadelphia violated the First Amendment. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote in the majority opinion in which he ultimately determined the city's actions did so violate the First Amendment. So the city's actions, he wrote, burdened CSS religious exercise by putting it to the choice of curtailing its mission or approving relationship inconsistent with its beliefs noting that the city's dissent in that opinion so there you have that one for the good guys and again you know when it comes to the first amendment and uh you know adhering to your own to your own uh religious beliefs that's a big sticking point for a lot of the liberal wackos out there yeah uh on the aca decision uh from the cato institute i believe it's pronounced Ilya shapiro 
wrote this today. On the ACA decision, those who hoped or feared that California v. Texas was the case where SCOTUS would finally rid us of Obamacare were either disingenuous or misunderstood the state of play. That was never going to happen. Because by leaving the rest of the ACA undisturbed, after zeroing out the penalty for not complying with the individual mandate to buy health insurance, which John Roberts had transformed into a tax to save the law back in 2012, Congress expressed the mandate's severability. Just as I said, we've talked about this. Still, he says, individuals subject to a legal command should be able to, one, secure a judgment that a tax that can't raise any revenue is unconstitutional and thus, two, be excused from related regulatory provisions. That was the point of Cato's brief that we made. The court today disagreed, including Justice Amy Coney Barrett, whose confirmation hearings were taken over by demagoguery, screeds about how she was appointed to take health care away from poor people. So be it. At this point in Obamacare litigation, to use an expression from our Alice in Wonderland age, when a mandate can be a tax and a state exchange can be a federal one, well, then nothing matters. So uh, that's his take on what happened at the Supreme Court today, basically saying nobody should be all that surprised. So, all right, what else is going on in the news? Uh, uh, let's see, one, one other one. Former CDC director Redfield cites COVID's rapid spread as one reason he thinks the virus started in a lab. And uh, it's pretty interesting that Redfield has been coming out more and more lately. Boy, and- you're right about that. He, he, he is really... <laughs> um, he has really pulled the curtain back on where he stands, and, and and I read into it a little bit about where he stands with his thoughts on the people he worked with, by the way, at the time. Yeah, because it seemed like he was kind of dancing, you know, on that fine line, trying to trying to please everybody, but not not you know make any decisions that uh, kind of went against the grain and, and caused any uproar. Well, it turns out he's changed his tune, as as I mentioned, the former Centers for Disease Control Prevention Director Redfield is explaining why he believes the COVID nineteen mostly originated from a lab, arguing that the unlikelihood of it jumping from a bat to an unknown animal to man in his, is its quick spread. Uh, Redfield discussed his opinions of the origin of the, var, uh, of the virus over the weekend with Fox News' own Dr. Mark Siegel, a professor of medicine at NYU Langone. As he said before, he said, I didn't think it was biologically plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man and now has become one of the most infectious viruses, he said. There's an alternative hypothesis that went from a bat virus, got into a laboratory, where in the laboratory it was taught, educated, it evolved, so it became a virus that could efe- efficiently transmit human to human. Redfield's comments come as many scientists and world leaders now reevaluate the so-called lab leak theory, which was widely discredited as a conspiracy theory at the beginning of the pandemic. The theory posits that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China, not from a bat at a nearby exotic food market. Did you see uh, Mo Brooks yesterday? No. Uh, This is from yesterday, G33. So um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about I believe about the virus, and a reporter said something to her about, ah, you're just spreading uh, nonsense or something. Mo Brooks took up, uh, stepped up to the mic after she left, and here's what he said. Roll that. Let's be real clear about something. I'm very disturbed that you would even ask that kind of question. Chinese Americans are not necessarily members of the Chinese Communist Party. 
Understand that the Communist Chinese Party rejects virtually every provision in what is known as our Bill of Rights. Recognize that the Chinese Communist Party does not believe in the kind of republic that we believe in. And for you to associate the Communist Chinese Party with Chinese Americans, as you have done, I would submit is egregious and wrong. But with respect to bioweapons, Marjorie Taylor Greene asked a really good question. Now, I serve on the House Armed Services Committee and on the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Ask yourself, America, this question. When we talk about gain of function, let's be a little bit more specific about what we're talking about here. We're talking about a dangerous virus being changed so that it is much more communicable, meaning people are much more likely to get it, and or it becomes much more deadly. Now, why would any country, why would any country do that with a virus to make it more contagious and make it more deadly, if not for militarization purposes? And if you look at the Communist Chinese Party's background and its relationship with the military, it leads you but to one logical conclusion. Mo Brooks. Yep. Monday for an exclusive interview with former President Donald Trump. Don't miss Donald Trump on Water Cooler with David Brody, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. All right, 13 to the hour, live from Studio 6B. On a Thursday night, glad you're in. Rick Delgado will have more news. Uh, I've got some things to get to. You know who wrote a great column today is Deneen Borelli, who, if you watch America's Voice, you've seen on the network quite a bit. Uh, Her husband, Tom Borelli, is a regular contributor. Deneen's been on as well. She wrote a great piece today in the Washington Times uh, called Exposing Biden's Record on Race. The president plays both sides of the race card for political gain, and isn't that the truth? And we've been through this on this show numerous numerous times but um she has an excellent piece here we'll we'll go through it in a little bit but right now let's do a little more sports islanders down one nothing here with uh, Rick Amirati. What's going on, pal? Yeah, Big D, just to segue off that, Game 3, Nassau Coliseum, after a rousing a cappella uh, national anthem uh, sing-along by the uh, Coliseum crowd. tremendous. Incredible. Louder than the other night, right? I think. Yeah. 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 But, but Yanni Gorday struck first at 640 of the first period for the Lightning. They're up one nothing, looking to take a 2-1 series lead. It's about four and a half to go in the first period. So, like Rick said earlier, it's early. It's early yet. So, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll have a <laughs> yeah, report. You're not going to say it still looks good? 
I'm not going to say it. Man, no, nothing. I'm staying. I'll give it the whammy. And uh, right now, game uh, game six, Brooklyn Nets looking to take the series. They're in Milwaukee, just getting ready to tip now. Uh, and uh, the Bucks and Nets. So that's going to be another really good game from the Fiserv Forum. We'll keep a report on that. And Major League Baseball update. Yankees and Blue Jays got a little tighter there. It's 3-2 now. Yankees leading in the bottom of the fourth. Top fifth, Cubs still leading the Mets 2 nothing. Bottom fifth, we still have a scoreless game between the Cardinals and the Braves. And in the bottom of the second, the Astros have now have gone up on top of the White Sox 3 nothing. And I uh, spoke about it a little bit earlier, but Denmark and Belgium paused to honor Christian Eriksen during 2020 Euro match earlier today. This is from Zach Wasink of Yard Barker. Personnel from both Belgium and Denmark, as well as the match official, paused during the 10th minute of today's UEA. FA a European Championship game to honor Danish midfielder Christian Eriksen. Eriksen at Serie A club Inter Milan suffered cardiac arrest during Saturday's game against Finland and wears the number 10 shirt for Denmark. He is in stable condition at a hospital near Copenhagen's Parken Stadium. Tributes for Eriksen began well before kickoff as supporters representing both nations sang You'll Never Walk Alone to show their support for the playmaker. A massive Eriksen jersey was also displayed on the pitch. Belgium then presented Denmark with the number 10 shirt signed by the team. Denmark team doctor Morten Bosen confirmed ahead of Thursday's match that Ericsson will have a defibrillator implanted at some point. It's unclear at this early stage of his recovery if the 29-year-old will return to playing professionally, but we sure, we sure hope so. So what, what, a, what a story. We've covered that the last few nights, Big D. So that's the latest and greatest. Real class act. You know, what do you expect? European Championship, all classy teams. Uh, and a um, little tennis information. Uh, this came across uh, pretty big news today. Rafael Nadal pulls out of Wimbledon and the Olympics. The goal is to prolong my career. This is from Liz Rocha of Yahoo Sports. After punishing Finishing French Open, Rafael Nadal is listening to his body and soul and letting them dictate his schedule for the next few months. Nadal tweeted earlier today that he's decided to withdraw from Wimbledon, which begins at the end of June, and the Olympics, which start on July 23rd. He said that his goal is to prolong his career, but also to do what makes him happy. Nadal's announcement comes on the heels of his stunning loss at the French Open. The King of Clay has won 13 trophies at Roland Garros, but this year he was unable to get past Novak Djokovic in the semifinal. Nadal is 35 and was the Wimbledon champion in 2008 and 2010. He also won Olympic gold back in 2008 in singles and doubles. So, you know, they're starting to age. You know, Nadal, uh, you know, Federer, Serena, you know, they're in their mid 30s. It's not, not easy, I gotta tell you. And uh, just one more piece of tennis news, Big D. Uh, Naomi Osaka also withdraws from Wimbledon, marking second Grand Slam missed. This is from Cassandra Negley of Yahoo Sports. Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from Wimbledon, her agent said via an AP report. It marks the second consecutive Grand Slam in which she has withdrawn following the French Open last month. Osaka is taking some personal time with friends and family. She'll be ready for the Olympics and is excited to play in front of her home fans. Her agent, Stuart Dugard, said uh, wrote in an email earlier today via the AP. Osaka, who's 23, a little bit younger, uh, will compete at Japan in the Tokyo Olympics, and she's a native of Japan. So, uh, And that's a wrap in sports. Big D, just give you a little tennis update there. Okay, very good, Rick. We'll do more sports in an hour or two. So, um, you know, we reported yesterday on the piece that got all this attention in Revolver by Darren Beatty uh, about the January 6th and whether the FBI and some of these had infiltrated these groups. And so there was this huge freak out from, from the media. It's Chris Cuomo calling Darren Beatty a dirtbag. And then, of course, he, to, to, to tell us how 
how uh, upstanding the um, FBI is. He brings on, as a guest, he brings on Andrew McCabe, uh, of all people, to, to, to be his on-air guest. But So Glenn Greenwald put out a thread today that I thought was re- really kind of to the point we were a little bit of what we were saying on the show last night. He said, um, I'm a little unclear about the massive CNN, NBC, Washington Post freakout today about questions regarding... FBI infiltration of these white supremacist groups behind January 6th. DHS has been warning us now for two years that they pose the greatest threat. You've heard the president say this, right? Yep. Um, Do people doubt that FBI infiltrated them and had informants in the group? The FBI had at least one informant in the group charged with the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer. They constantly used informants, infiltrators, to steer plots from the first war on terror. Why are people so doubtful that they had informants in these groups? And then he links to a piece from the Detroit News. Confidential FBI informant details how he infiltrated group accused of uh, the March 29th uh, uh, Governor Whitmer, a possible kidnapping. Then he says, I can't even count how many quote unquote terror plots I reported on as part of the first war on terror that were designed, driven, and even funded by the FBI. But it was a lot. They'd instigate their own plots, then congratulate themselves for stopping them. And then he links to an article from The Intercept. Why does the FBI have to manufacture its own plots? If terrorism is uh, whatever, I'm not clicking on the article, but that's basically the title. Then he says the left and even liberals had a good, healthy dose of skepticism about claims, actions, and motives of the FBI and the CIA when it came to the first war on terror. It seems unhealthy, to put it mildly, to refuse to apply that same skepticism to this new domestic war on terror. When I was at The Intercept, one of the big leaks it got was a huge 2017 trove of secret FBI documents. Here's the article on the document showing how the FBI has far far more power than people realize to infiltrate domestic groups and how they use it. Uh, Then he links to this article, Hidden Loopholes Allow FBI Agents to Infiltrate Political and Religious Groups. New York Times, 2012, terrorist plots hatched by the FBI. He has a screenshot of an article from the New York Times. The United States has been narrowly saved from lethal terrorist plots in recent years, or so it has seemed. A would-be suicide bomber was intercepted on his way to the Capitol. A a scheme to bomb synagogues and shoot Stinger missiles at military aircraft was developed by men in uh, Newburgh, New York. And a fanciful idea to fly explosive-laden model planes into the Pentagon and the Capitol was hatched out of Massachusetts. But all these dramas were facilitated by the FBI, whose undercover agents and informers posed as terrorists offering a dummy missile, fake C-4 explosives, a disarmed suicide vest, and rudimentary training. Suspects naively played their parts until they were all arrested. Infiltration into these groups. And that leads you to why the unindicted co-conspirators. This is in the New York Times, what I just read you. Right. So what I said yesterday, is it, is it unreasonable to think after they infiltrated the Michigan thing that they said, okay, we're done, or do you think they <laughs> left guys in? Oh. Yeah.
right, hour two, live from Studio 6B on a Thursday night. Glad you're in. Rick Emirati's going to have more sports. Geo Friend holding it down. Rick Delgado sitting in for Paul Nolan's got the news. Got some things I want to get to in hour two as well. Exposing Joe Biden's record on race by uh, Deneen Borelli, which is a fantastic uh, look back on a lot of stuff that we've shared with you on this show. We've put together video montages of... All kinds of things from Joe Biden's past. I've played you that when he argued for basically segregation in 1975 on NPR when it came to the busing. Uh, The segregationist he was hanging out with is is his love of Robert Byrd and the Democratic Party. That's, you know, people talking about this Juneteenth today. And um, I think it's fine. President Trump, I believe, wanted to do this at some point with his um, platinum plan for black America, by the way. So... Why some people are making a big deal of Biden doing this, I'm not really sure. But um, the the thing to say about it is, you know, conservatives and Republicans should just, and what they should do is just remind people that, th- that they're the party of, the Democratic Party is the party of slavery. They were the party of Jim Crow. So to, Joe Biden continually wants to repackage and rewrite history. On, and when he does things like this, which as a standalone thing, it's fine. Um, but I mean, Joe Biden is, is no, uh, is no figurehead or, 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 or speaker for this. He's just the opposite. He's just the opposite. We know his history and we know the history, um, of the democratic party. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. You can't change it. You can't rewrite it. You can't go, well, you know, now it, they flipped. It was actually, they were, they were Republicans and then they flipped the Democrat. No, that's not how it works. That's not, that's not correct history. Stop trying to you know, lie to everybody and say, no, 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 this is how it changed. That's no own your history. That's it. And we know Biden's history. It's crystal clear. He he says it all the time. He he lets it slip out. It, it, it exposes himself. Uh, you know, it drops from behind the facade whenever, whenever he starts to, you know, get involved in a conversation. He lets, lets the real, real words slip out of his mind and they come at tumbling out of his mouth. As Deneen Borelli says, for decades, Joe Biden has exploited race to advance his political career. Mr. Biden's long history in public life provides ample evidence in both words and deeds of the now president playing both sides of the race card for political gain. So in Mr. Biden's own words, look at my record, man. Okay, we, well, here we go. In early in his political career... Mr. Biden befriended Democratic segregationists to capitalize on their power to advance in the Senate chamber and his political goals. For example, Mississippi Senator James Eastland, who offered his assistance to help Mr. Biden with his reelection in 1978, said blacks were, quote, an inferior race, end quote. I've played you these audio and video clips. Mr. Eastland also called the Brown vs. Board of Education decision a monstrous crime. And together, Mr. Eastland and Mr. Biden worked on the anti-busing bill to prevent desegregation in schools. I played you that clip from 1975 when he was on NPR probably four or five times in the last year. Mr. Eastland mentored Mr. Biden during his early Senate career. Mr. Biden maintained a fondness for him. When commenting about his past relationships with segregationists, Mr. Biden often recalled favorable memories of his emotional connection to racist Democrats while running for president for the third time. Mr. Biden said before his donors, referring to Mr. Eastland, quote, he never called me boy. He always called me son. I played you that. Mr. Biden siding with segregationists in his early career is such an obvious political liability 
that then-Senator Kamala Harris drove an 18-wheeler truck through it during one of the Democratic debates. There's also Mr. Biden's relationship with the late former Senate Majority Senate Majority Leader, <laughs> Robert Byrd of West Virginia. The Democrats made him the Senate Majority Leader of the Democratic Party. He was the Grand Klegel of the KKK in West Virginia, meaning they didn't have a chapter. He started it. Uh, Mr. Byrd was a former recruiter for the Ku Klux Klan, and even with this backdrop, Mr. Byrd was elevated to the highest role in the Senate. Mr. Byrd, by the way, filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act for over 14 hours. Let that sink in for a moment. But none of this mattered to Mr. Biden. During the eulogy at Mr. Byrd's funeral in 2010, the then vice president said, quote, he was my friend, he was my mentor, and he was a guide, unquote. Mr. Biden also looked up to uh, Governor George Wallace, who in 1963 stood in the doorway of an Alabama university to block black students from enrolling. During an inaugural address the same year, Mr. Wallace told the crowd, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Despite Mr. Wallace's blatant racism, Mr. Biden expressed support for him in 1975, saying, quote, I think the Democratic Party could stand the liberal George Wallace, someone who's not afraid to stand up and offend people, someone who wouldn't pander, but would say what the American people know in their gut is right. Mr. Biden also bragged about an award he received from Mr. Wallace. Today, Mr. Biden's exploitation of race for political gain continues, however, now in the opposite direction. Recognizing the importance of the black vote for Democrats, especially with the rise in black support for former President Donald Trump during the 2020 election, Mr. Biden positions himself as a strong backer of the black community. To emphasize his support, Mr. Biden recently traveled to Tulsa, Oklahoma to deliver remarks on the 100th anniversary of the bloody massacre at Black Wall Street, where hundreds of innocent black citizens were killed and injured by white racists. Black Wall Street was a bustling and thriving community of doctors and lawyers' practices, restaurants, nightclubs, grocery stores, and other establishments, only to suffer untold devastation of violent racism and hatred by a white mob. While it's important to recognize the atrocities of Tulsa, to not repeat history, Mr. Biden has leveraged the emotions surrounding the death and destruction of that tragic event to sell the idea that systemic racism is real in America today. To say Mr. Biden's Tulsa speech was divisive would be quite the understatement. After recognizing the survivors and descendants in the audience and paying tribute to those who senselessly lost their lives and were harmed, Mr. Biden launched into a speech far from the amazing strides our country has achieved in the years since. References of rampant racism were weaved throughout Mr. Biden's Tulsa speech. A rather astounding remark by the president was, quote, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, but white supremacists, unquote. While in Tulsa, Mr. Biden talked about known Klansmen and segregationists in Congress during his early political career, but failed to say that he was not only pen pals with them, but is on the record fondly cherishing his memories with them. Mr. Biden uses this platform to stoke the flames of racism to further divide Americans, and it is so unfortunate the Tulsa audience didn't know the president's racist past. <laughs> the record shows Mr. Biden is not only a propagandist, but a hypocrite. Reviewing Mr. Biden's record on race 
It is clear his only moral compass is himself, and he will do anything to leverage race for power. And some would argue that um, he's continuing that with what he did today. I would say so. And plus, you know, you have to look at it from this point of view. Remember, they're projecting. And they do it all the time. What they do to Trump? Oh, he works for the Russians. Who is really who is really involved with the Russians? Ah, Hillary, the Democrats. We found that out after a couple of years and the investigation and the information started to come out. So basically, what they do is they project what they're actually doing onto their enemies, onto their rivals, because that's they're trying to point you in that direction. Look how evil they are. Um, but then you look at his own family. What did we find out last week about Hunter Biden? He likes to use the N-word when he's texting his white buddies, right? And then today, we find out when texting with his cousins, trying to set up a hookup, Hunter Biden refers to Asians as yellow in a text message. Yeah, first son, son Hunter Biden used a racial slur back in January of 2019 in a text message to his cousin Caroline Biden, trying to get fixed up with someone. In a screenshot posted by the outlet of the DailyMail.com, the daughter of the president's brother, James suggested setting Hunter up with one of her friends. She wrote, do you want foreign or domestic? She asked at one point. I can't give you a blank Asian. Sorry, I'm not doing it. Next two messages from Hunter read, domestic foreigner is fine. The next message reads, no yellow. This is not the first time the younger Biden text messages have revealed instances of racist language. Uh, Of course, we mentioned the use of the N-word just last week when he was talking to his white attorney, George Messiahs. So there you have it. It it, it runs rampant, not only in the Democratic Party, but in the Biden family, it seems. Uh, Yeah, it does. And um, again, we've spent a lot of time on this. And I think to Deneen's point, it's it's not something that this is why when you see him um, try to repackage and then rewrite history, on days like today and his speech in Tulsa, even if the end result of what he's doing today is, is fine, President Trump had thought about doing making it a national holiday. Right. So I don't think there's any, there's no issue there. Um, not, not only that, he did have, what, 48 years prior to this to do something on it, even eight serving with a black president, and I don't recall either one of them even mentioning this through that entire time. I could be wrong. But I don't remember. It doesn't ring a bell. Uh, I'm looking. I didn't see it. So, But, um, yeah, I mean, Boy. it's hard for Joe Biden to and then think about. I mean, you can think about through the um, election, too. I mean, even just recently, again, we played the, we played the clip of the, um, well, uh, these kids are just as <laughs> just smart as, smart as, as white as, kids. As or, white kids, yes. And then he did another one of those just recently for something. <laughs> yeah, it talked about how you know the, uh, the the Hispanic community is much more you know much more diverse than the black community. Oh, uh, that doesn't seem racist at all, there, Joe. Well, he said that during yeah he did that during the election, but right. just recently he did another. I forget what it was, but it was another comment like about. Um, oh, they they have no lawyers. Remember, he said, "All oh, right, there's no accountants and no, no lawyers. lawyers." Yeah, the, you know, in the because, black community. Yeah, the, you know, so we're gonna we're gonna do reach outs. They're reaching out through barbershops because that's that's how they view the black community. Just to give you an idea, Democrats, um, you know, people that are wondering, well, what do they really stand for? Look, look at how they market. They market 
they talk about and market through uh, barbershops and hairstyling salons because in the black community, those are where the people hang out. Meanwhile, the, you know, like David said, well, they don't know how to get lawyers. They don't know what accountants are. You know, it's, it's all that stupid nonsense. Um, you can also go back to obviously if you don't know the difference, if you don't know who you're voting, you ain't black. Right. You can go to the, the, the black reporter interviewing him and him saying, are you a junkie? It's, see, it's just <laughs> when, it's, when it's ingrained, I'm serious, when it's ingrained, when it's part of who you are, it's hard to get away from. In and it those, slips it, out. Right. You yeah. have those moments of, of, uh, of just initial instinct of what comes from the heart. In my estimation, it's hard to get away from. And that's when you see those things happen with Joe Biden. Yeah. And when, also when he was talking to the uh, and this was during the campaign, when he was talking about uh, music, you know, what's your favorite song that you like to get Jack, you know, get ready for? Oh, you're the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Monday for an exclusive interview with former President Donald Trump. Don't miss Donald Trump on Water Cooler with David Brody, Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. All right, live from Studio 6B on Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV. I don't know if we're on, uh, are we up yet on Pluto? I don't know. We'll Oh, we yeah, are. we're back. Yep, Pluto's so back welcome up. to the Pluto audience, Samsung Plus, TV Plus, an awesome new uh, platform that you can catch a show on as well. So you can check that out if you've got a Samsung product. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all good stuff as the show continues to grow and evolve. Right now, though, let's go to uh, get a quick sports update with Rick Amarati. Rick, what is going on? Let's start out on Long Island, shall yes, we? Yes, we'll go right to the island. Just about uh, four minutes into the second period, still one nothing lightning lead. Islanders, big pivotal game for both teams, actually. Series is tied 1-1, and uh, whoever wins game three is going to have a real stronghold, I believe, as the home mice will t- return to Tampa if they do actually pull it out. But it's uh, right now the Islanders are being outshot 12-4. to Eight. So a tight game. We'll have an update later in the next segment. And uh, don't forget tomorrow night, the Golden Knights now travel to Montreal to take on the Canadians. And that series also is tied at one. That'll be a game three, 8 p.m. puck drop. And of course, we'll have it on LFS 6B tomorrow night. Right. Uh, let's talk about Milwaukee now. Downtown Milwaukee, Fiserv Forum. The Bucks lead the Nets 26-19 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Giannis with 11 points for Milwaukee to lead all scorers. And Kevin Durant right there with him. He's got 10. And we all know that a, a seven-point lead is nothing in the NBA, no, even with not. a mere few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I think you found that out last night. I learned the hard way. I learned the hard <laughs> way, Rick. No question about it. So uh, we'll have a, uh, an update on 
that as well. Uh, and then tomorrow night will be Game 6 uh, at 10 p.m. Jazz and Clippers at the Staples Center, 10 p.m. tip. And the Clippers, believe it or not, lead that series 3-2. Now you got to think about this. The Jazz are the number one seed in the West, and the Philadelphia 76ers are the number one uh, seed in the East. So both number one seeds are in jeopardy of losing uh, losing out and being eliminated. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a pretty interesting playoffs. No question. Uh, Major League Baseball, let's go to the diamond, Rick. Uh, we got the Yankees and Blue Jays. Well, the Blue Jays pulled even. It's 3-3 in the top of the sixth. Cubs continue to lead the Mets 2-0. That's in the bottom of the seventh, out in Flushing. Uh, the Braves lead the Cardinals 3-0 at the end of six. White Sox trail the Astros 6 nothing in the bottom of the fourth. Top of the seventh, the Brewers lead the Rockies 3 nothing, And at the top of the second, the Reds and Padres are scoreless out in San Diego. And speaking of uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who uh, actually lost today 10-3 to to the Giants. And that, indeed, was an historic loss. Listen to this. All right, why? Diamondbacks set all-time record for consecutive road losses. This is from Megan Armstrong of Yard Barker. Now, this report came out when they were tied. However, in the matinee game today, they lost. So now it's a record. The Arizona Diamondbacks lost 13-7 to the San Francisco Giants at Oracle Park in the Bay Area yesterday. But it wasn't an ordinary loss. It was a historic and soul-crushing defeat. It was Arizona's 22nd road loss in a row. Check that. Now 23rd after today. Tying the 1943 Philadelphia Athletics and 1963 New York Mets for the modern era record for most consecutive losses on the road. To make matters worse, the 20 and 49 Diamondbacks are in the middle of a 13-game losing streak as well. So their last win came against... Ironically, the Mets on June 1st. <laughs> so uh, they've now set a new record for consecutive road losses. And I do have a few of our followers, and I apologize because I know they are uh, Arizona Diamondback fans. But uh, it's okay. They beat up on my Reds a couple of weeks ago. So, before the, of course, before they went into this terrible slip. All so right. uh, And just one more, Rick. Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, is talking about earlier today sharing the cover of Madden 22 with the great Tom Brady. It was a mutual respect type of thing. This is from Megan Armstrong of Yard Barker. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers romped the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9 in February's Super Bowl 55, but there are no lingering hard feelings between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. EA Sports revealed Brady and Mahomes as co-cover stars for Madden 22 earlier this morning. Brady previously covered Madden 18 and uh, had this to say about returning alongside Mahomes. This is via an interview in People Magazine. It's been a great experience being on the cover of Madden NFL 22 with Patrick. We both share a love for the game of football and to be a part of this iconic franchise is very special. Now, there was a little talk about, you know, they were going back and forth, a little trash talking uh, with, with Tom Brady saying that uh, they weren't going to have a chance to repeat. So I thought that was a little bit of a cute sidebar. But yeah, so so Mahomes and Brady, you know, you're in good hands with those two guys on the cover of Madden 22. All right. for this Isn't year. there a jinx related to the cover of that, by the way? That might be Sports Illustrated, I'm thinking. But yeah, but right. the, um, the there game, is yeah, a Madden yeah. curse. There is yeah. a Madden curse. The Madden yeah, curse, Madden right, friend? Yeah. All right. So Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Lay your bets accordingly, I guess, for the upcoming season. All right, Rick. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll do some more news a little bit later before the end of the show. Uh, jumping over to some news right now. This is something that I saw breaking uh, earlier today. 
figured, you know, who, who, who knows? It was a bound to happen. They wanted it for Trump, but now GOP lawmakers, uh, I should say Democrats wanted it for Trump, but GOP lawmakers led by ex-White House doctor asked Biden to take a cognitive test. This is uh, former White House physician Rep. Ronnie Jackson and other Republican representatives are calling for Joe Biden to take the test uh, as more than a dozen House members have signed on to this uh, so that the American people know the full mental and intellectual health of their president. They wrote in a statement, the American people should have absolute confidence in their president, reads the letter to Biden in in this part. They deserve to know that he or she can perform the duties of the head of state and commander in chief. They deserve full transparency on mental capabilities of their highest elected leader. The letter, which is copied to Chief White House Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci and current White House physician Kevin O'Connor, claims that Biden's mental decline and forgetfulness have become apparent over the past 18 months. Examples uh, that he lays out uh, about the mental decline and forgetfulness include an incident in March when the president appeared to forget the name of the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin. Um, so there you have it, the letter. <laughs> but that's the one thing they picked up well, on? Well, that's the one thing I've gotten to so far. There's there's mo- plenty more that they if can If they want to go to our YouTube page, we have great Crazy Town playlists they could watch for four hours and, and, and pick one of 10,000 things to... I could save them the time on doing the test. I mean, uh, honestly, it's... I mean, come on. We all, know, we all know his current state. By the way, we knew it before the election, so I, I'm not... You know, the voters, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they, they cite other things like when he went to Texas and messed up John Cornyn's title, mispro- mispronounced Congresswoman Sheila Jackson's first name. Uh, they talk about the, uh, the third example where the <laughs> attempt to recite the first line of the Declaration of Independence, during which he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and, equal, uh, all men and women are created equal. Well, you, you know, which you know the thing. Yeah, which time? <laughs> of the 47, he's tried it. He screwed it up 46 times. I think at oh. one time he actually got through the first part and then said, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> or whatever he said. True error oppression. <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna have to, we'll have to revisit here, G, in the next segment. Uh, Biden dazzling on the world stage. <laughs> well, yeah, because that was on full display the whole last week while he was in Europe. Yeah, I mean a test. I mean, uh, who 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 thinks they need a test to know this? <laughs> This is what I don't understand. Maybe they're trying to determine the degree of degeneration he's in. Well, I'll tell you, it's, 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 it's 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. Or maybe it's 9, but it's... it's I don't think anybody's going to... Is, is this test going to show... Let, let's, just say, let's just play along here. All right. Grab the pom-poms, play along here. <laughs> what, what, what are we going to get out of this? What, what are we coming out of this that we don't already know? That we don't already know? And I'm being serious. If they came out and said, well, he's got onset of dementia, who's going to jump up and go, oh, yeah. my God, I can't believe it. Well, it, it, it takes you back to last fall during the campaign when Trump said, hey, the 25th Amendment, I don't have to worry about that. That's not for me. Well, right now, so far, it's not for Joe either, but we'll see. Yeah.
right, 30 minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B. Let's, um, let's do a little, e- little some emails here from the uh, great live from Studio 6B audience. We haven't done those in a while. Oh, boy. Uh, Kevin says, Big D, write about the effects of finding out about miscount uh, in voting regarding the president, but it probably could alter the makeup of the Senate. Okay, very good. That's very big, Kevin. Thanks, Kev. Uh, Raymond says, Jenna Ellis is wrong in regards to reseeding Trump to the presidency. Secondary to the courts could throw the election back to the House of Representatives to decide the presidency if Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania decertify the election results. Damon is a damn idiot, and he should not lead the show secondary to the other cast members who are much more talented and insightful. Damon needs to stop getting on his knees to kiss the network's ass. Ray, okay? Thank you, Ray. Uh, let's see here. A couple of the good ones I saw. Uh, from Jillian. Hi, my name is Jillian, and I am messaging you on behalf of my boyfriend. His name is Randy. He's a 30-year-old fully disabled combat vet, mostly due to PTSD. Some days are good. Some are bad, but he looks forward to your show every weekday. He has a nickname for you guys. He calls you My Dudes. Wow. <laughs> it's an honor. We have to remind him of the time and tell him the time the dudes are on. So you make a vet's day, even on his worst. So thank you. I just ordered him a t-shirt, and he's really excited. Thank you again, my dudes. Oh, that's pretty wow. awesome. That's awesome. That is awesome is right. Awesome. We, you know what? We should get a t-shirt made up, but just says my dudes. Boy, that's think? a good idea. Yeah, I like that. For, uh, for Randy. Yeah. Yeah, and well, there should first, be like a Mount Rushmore of you four underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's going to like that, Jake. But, He'll probably uh, love it. Well, God bless him. Yeah. And thank you for your service. Yes. And uh, I mean, it's I mean, it's emails like that that I mean, it's why I mean, it's we do the show because we like to do it. Um, and we love to hear from Ray. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love things. I love things da- like that. Damon a ray loves, of light. Damon loves those emails from <laughs> people like Ray. Light. I love those. Uh, but no, I mean no. But this this is the reason you do it. So yep. God yeah. bless you. Thank you for your service, and yeah. thank you for. Uh, hopefully, we can. I mean, I always tell these guys. I mean, we. we I don't know. It just it just does amaze me sometimes. Like I get emails. I've gotten two of them tonight about the commercials that run during the show. Here, <laughs> news flash. We have nothing to do with the commercials that run. So if they're running Democratic, liberal, whatever, it's it's just, I I mean, I I don't know. The advertisers pay, then the network says, okay, we'll take your money. Yeah, Gotta pay the bills. I'm not not sure. The network doesn't even decide. It's auto-filled from, it's not even, it's just not in our, it's not in anybody's domain here. Not ours, not the network's, nothing. What commercials get served? Right. Not that I want to spend a lot of time on this, but my point is, I know the audience is very um, dedicated and very involved with the show, and they feel like every little thing they need to tell me, and I appreciate that. But Correct. what I tell these guys every night is what we try to do here is we try to be, uh, number one, funny, number two, informative as we can be, um, but we try to just talk about things the way that you hopefully you would talk about them around your dinner table or with your friends or whatever. And well, I mean, we're just not going to be 60 minutes and we're not going to be, 
you know, as informative as probably some other shows. But I don't know. We're going to have a little. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why people like the show if they do like the show. <laughs> but my point is, we try to be. We try to make you laugh, and um, make you get, think, and make you think if we can. Yeah, and right. that's that's our goal every night. So. It's not to hit you over the head and 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 get to, to under every rock and nook and cranny of everything because, or to agree on everything. By the way, when me and Rick don't agree, or Paul and Rick agree, and I don't, these people write me as like, damn it, it's aggravating. It's just fun. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with being aggravated or no. being or disagreeing. So, but I mean, this is the kind of email that makes it all worth it. So. Right. And we can have those disagreements and then continue on and try and, you know, bring you a good show because you guys, you know, you, you're giving us your time so that we appreciate that and we're trying to give you something back. Yeah, so, so. Jillian, thanks for the email. Yes. Randy, God bless you. And um, Ray, keep him coming. And, we, and Ray, 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 keep him coming. Keep him coming. Damon will, Damon will keep trying to kiss the network's ass and he's an idiot. <laughs> when I go on vacation this summer, Ray, you're going to love the show. You just, you just tune in, baby. Two, three weeks, you're going to have all the show you love. So, all right, let's do some news. Oh, no, let's do, let's do Crazy Town, G. Okay. This, because this will get everybody in a good mood, including I'm going to send this out and dedicate it to Randy here. Biden dazzles on the world stage. Roll that. Been a long day for y'all. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I've just finished the uh, the last meeting of this week's long trip, uh, and I know there were a lot of hype around this meeting. We're uniquely a product of an idea. You've heard me say this before again and again, but I'm going to keep saying it. What's that idea? The idea is we hold these truths self-evident, <laughs> all men and women. We haven't lived up to it completely, but we've always widened the, the arc. You asked me many Why times, what was I going to discuss? Before I came, I told you I only negotiate with the individual, and now I can tell you what I was intending to do all along, how to build it, and, and, and how it is in the interest of both Russia and the United States. We agreed to work together there because as much as interest, Russia's interest is ours. I caught part of President uh, uh, Putin's uh, <laughs> press conference. I did what I came to do, and I must tell you, the tone of the entire meetings. I guess it was a total of four hours. Was was what was was good. We rallied our fellow democracies to make concert commit concerted commitments. This is I listened to uh, again a significant portion of what President Putin's press conference was. We'll find out within the next six months to a year whether or not we actually have a strategic dialogue that matters. We'll find out whether we work to deal with everything from release of. People in in, in uh, uh, R- Russian prisons or not? How would it be if the United States were viewed by the rest of the world as interfering with the elections directly of other countries? And everybody knew it. I'll take your questions, and as usual, folks, they gave me a list of the people I'm going to call on. So uh, he knows I will take action, like we did when this last time out. One of the consequences that I know, I don't know, I shouldn't say this, unfair of me. I pointed out to him that it matters a great deal when a country, in fact, 
And they asked me why I thought it was important to continue to have problems with. I said, because it's a violation of international norm. I, I mean, I, look, guys. <laughs> I know we make foreign policy out to be this great, great skill that somehow is sort of like a, a secret code. Pract all foreign policies is a logical extension of personal relationships. That's not a satisfying answer. Biden said he'd invade Russia. You know, it's not, you know. by the way, that was a joke. <laughs> if there was anything that you emerged from in the discussion that made you think that he... Did... I'm going to take my coat off. The sun is hot. <laughs> and if, in fact, they violate these basic norms, we will respond. Cyber. He knows. In the cyber way. You're in a situation where your economy is struggling. You need to move it in a more uh, uh, aggressive way than in terms of growing it. And uh, you, uh, I don't think he's looking for a cold war with the United States. I said, your generation and mine are about 10 years apart. This is not a kumbaya moment, as he used to say back in the 60s in the United States, like, let's hug and love each other. As we got through, when we brought in the larger group, our, our defense, our intelligence and our foreign, well, our, my foreign minister was not foreign minister. My secretary of state was with me the whole time. What am I, and, a uh, and so it was, uh, that it was no, kind of after two hours there, we looked at each other like, the hell do we do okay, now? what next? No, 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 there, there were no threats. There were, as a matter of fact, uh, um, I heard he quoted my mom and quoted other people today. There was, it was very, uh, as we say, which will shock you coming from me, somewhat colloquial. Um, colloquial. Uh, and they're like, you could see them kind of go, oh, we do that, but like, whoa. President Putin said he was satisfied with the answer you, he, about your comment about him being a killer. Uh, could you give us your side on this? What did you tell him? He's satisfied. Why would I bring it up again? <laughs> Hello, Mr. You want to go in the shade? You can't. Can you see? This is not about trust. It's about trust. <laughs> oh, yeah. There he is. Big Joe dazzling on the world stage. He's amazing. Yeah. I hope you learn not to drink water during Crazy Town, Damon. Oh, my God. I almost choked. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. But you know the thing we didn't play, G, from yesterday? This is really this – is, this is Crazy Town, too. Uh, where is the thing he said he gave him a list? Oh, please. I was hoping we'd get to this. All right, 43, yeah. This is how he's going to stop future election uh, – this, this was the president of the United States' answer. Go ahead, roll this. Uh, U.S. intelligence has said that Russia tried to interfere in the last two presidential elections and that Russia groups are behind hacks like SolarWinds and some of the ransomware attacks you just mentioned. Putin, in his news conference just now, accepted no responsibility for any misbehavior. Your predecessor opted not to demand that Putin stop these disruptions. So what is something that concrete, sir, that you achieve today to prevent that from happening again, and what were the consequences you threatened whether I stopped it from happening again, he knows I will take action, like we did when this last time out. What happened was we, in fact, made it clear that we were not going to continue to allow this to go on. The end result was we ended up withdrawing them. They went and withdrawing ambassadors. We closed down some of their facilities in the United States, etc. He knows there are consequences. Now, look, one of the consequences 
that I know, I don't know, I shouldn't say this, unfair me. <laughs> I suspect you may all think doesn't matter. But I'm confident matters to him, confident matter to him and other world leaders of big nations. His credibility worldwide shrinks. Let's get this straight. How would it be if the United States were viewed by the rest of the world as interfering with the elections directly of other countries and everybody knew it? What would it be like if we engage in activities that he is engaged in? It diminishes the standing of a country that is desperately trying to make sure it maintains its standing as a major world power. And so it's not just what I do. It's what the actions that other countries take, in this case Russia, that are contrary to international norms. It's the price they pay. They are not. They are not able to dictate what happens in the world. There are other nations of significant consequence, i.e. the United States of America being one of them. Well, I'm, I mean, <sighs> if Joe's qualifying as doing something, as saying, hey, we'll take an ambassador, you take an ambassador, I underscored 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure how he thinks that's bragging about doing something. Well, he did give him a list of 16 specific entities that should be, you know, kept kept away from cyber attacks. Yeah, well, that's that's the that's the clip I thought that was, but Me we're too. gonna we're gonna play that next. to the hour live from Studio 6B. Just um, Tucker Carlson for the third night in a row is hammering this Darren Beatty story again. He says, uh, responding to the MSN freakout last night, he says, we will not shut up. We shouldn't shut up. It could be, it could not be more obvious at this point that the government is in fact hiding something, probably quite a few things. So um, this, we're, we're going to continue to hear more about this. Darren Beatty says this is the only the first shoe that's dropped. Second shoe drops on Monday. So whatever that means, I don't know, but we'll be on the oh. lookout for either a follow-up story or something else. Or a sh- different shoe. On this, um, on this story. So, all right, let's do some more sports. Here with that's Rick Amirati. What's going on, pal? Okay, Big D, back and forth on the island. It looks like Tampa just went ahead 2-1. to one. Nikita Kucherov with his sixth playoff goal with about 40 seconds to go. The Islanders were on the penalty kill, and they didn't finish it off. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck had tied the score at 1 at 17-01 of the second period. It was 1-1. looked like it was going to go in even at the second intermission, but nope. Tampa Bay has jumped back out in front again. 2-1, to one, looking to also go up in the series. 2-1 to one should be an exciting third period of action. Uh, NBA action playoffs, game six in Milwaukee. Right now, the Bucks lead the Nets 59-48, to 48, just inside a minute to go in the second quarter. Uh, James Harden leads, uh, leads the Nets with 14, and Giannis and Chris Middleton both have 19 each for the Bucks. The Bucks are looking to pull even. 
even 3-2, but if the 3-3, but if the Nets should win, they'll go on to the uh, East Conference Finals. So uh, we'll see you all. Keep an eye on that one. Good, good series. Uh, Major League Baseball, Blue Jays just went up 4-3 over the Yankees. That's in the top of the seventh. Cubs lead the Mets 2-0, top of the eighth. Braves right now 4-0, blanking the Cardinals. That's also top of the eighth. And in the bottom of the fifth, the Astros all over the White Sox, 7-zip. Rockies lead the Brewers 5-0 in the bottom of the fourth. Reds and Padres tied at nothing nothing in the bottom of the third. Tigers and Angels also zip-zip. That just underway top first. One more game on tap. Rays are out in Seattle to take on the Mariners at 10-10 p.m. Uh, and Big D, I know you're going to be excited about this one, but it's official. Oscar De La Hoya returning to ring to oh. fight former <laughs> UFC champ Vitor Belfort. This is from Cassandra Nagley of Yahoo Sports. He's jumping in on that 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 gravy train of uh, exhibition bouts, if you will. But Oscar De La Hoya will return to compete in the boxing ring for the first time in nearly 13 years this summer in an exhibition match against former UFC champ Vitor Belfort. Uh, Mike Copinger of The Athletic reported. The match is set for September 18th in 12-ounce gloves and is likely to take place in Vegas per the report. It will reportedly be part of a Triller exhibition event. Triller bringing those thrillers back to back to us again. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya will return to compete in the boxing ring uh, and, um, you know, we'll see what happens happens big t he's 48 years old man oh uh, so God. last time he I mean, fought the 7208 <laughs> i would say again how much money is enough but according to dana white he may not uh, well dana white's made some pretty uh, ugly comments about where he thinks de la hoya's all his money's gone yeah like, up his nose He's had quite the life, but I'll tell you, the golden boy, he was quite the poster child from back in the day. I think a lot of the ladies will be tuning in to see how he's, uh, how he's doing. Uh, he, was a, he was like the biggest boxer there was at the time, Big D. I mean, he was, he was top-notch. But, I, mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's much to tune in for, but I guess if you want to tune in, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't see people who are like, ooh, wow, I'm excited about a De La Hoya fight. It's like, all right, big, big whoop. Yeah. yeah, I guess it depends on the ticket, whatever they're going to charge. Uh, and one more, I know we have a lot of our Crimson Tide fans that follow on LF. S6B, uh, but Sportsbook installs Alabama Clemson with highest college football win total at 11 and a half. This is from David Purdom, ESPN staff writer. Alabama and Crimson are breaking in new quarterbacks this season, but odds makers don't expect the Crimson Tide or the Tigers to suffer any significant drop off. Alabama and Clemson topped the college football season win totals released Thursday by Caesar Sportsbook and William uh, William Hill, each opening at 11 and a half. Ohio State and Oklahoma are next at 11. Followed by Georgia at ten and a half, the Bulldogs, North Carolina, Coastal Carolina, and Cincinnati each opened at ten, rounding out the teams with double-digit win totals at Caesars William Hill. Win totals for the 2021 college football season. The sportsbook posted win totals for each FBS team, allowing betters to wager on whether teams will win over or under the number during the 12-game regular season at varying prices. And just like that, Big D, the camps are going to be opening up in the NFL uh, within a month. We're going to be back to pigskin. You know, uh, pleasure. <laughs> yep. That's a wrap in sports. All right, thanks, Rick. Uh, real quick here before we finish with some news. Crazy Town, Biden finally flirts with someone his own age. Roll it, G. <laughs> I see the advocates, the activists, the leaders who have been calling for this day for so long, including the one and only Miss Opal Lee. <laughs> we just received a very special recognition from the President of the United States. 
She told me she loved me, and I believed it. <laughs> I wanted to believe it. Because <laughs> over a year, incredible. She's oh. 49 years old. Oh. Or 94 years old. But I, you are an incredible woman, Ms. Opal. You really are. I got three more. I got to make them on my name. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not for sure. Anybody else? Yes, yeah, Dan. Dan. No. No. Yes. Yeah, okay, Dan. man. I'm sorry, man. I just went Davis. Thank you, man. Well, don't tell me you love him more than you love me. That's smart, not today, she said. Oh, that was pretty cute. Oh, that was pretty cute, G. 94, man. She looks great for 94. Yeah, he, he's what, 15 years younger, and he looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she looked pretty good for 94. Good for him. That was the, cute. The woman who he couldn't figure out he was supposed to hand the pen to was not the woman being spoken of. It was <laughs> the one right behind her. Yeah, no, I could see at the end the one that, uh, Miss, uh, the one he was hitting on there, the 94-year-old. She doesn't look 94 at all. She looks great. She looks fantastic. That was that was pretty cute. I don't know. I, I like that one. He, he was all right there. Uh, still clueless, but uh, pretty yeah. funny. Uh, all right. Anything else in news, Rick? Uh, yeah, real quick. I've got one here out of uh, Missouri. You remember Mark and Patricia McCluskey, the husband and wife duo who pointed firearms at demonstrators uh, that marched on their home last year. Well, they pleaded guilty today to misdemeanor charges and consented, which I can't believe they consented to do, to give up their guns that they used during the episode. Uh, the Associated Press reported that Patricia McCloskey pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor harassment and was fined $2,000. And her spouse, who last month announced that he will run for the U.S. Senate, pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor fourth-degree assault and was fined $750. Now, during the hearing, this is a good part, um, the judge inquired whether Mark McCloskey recognized that his behavior placed people at risk of personal injury, to which McCloskey said, I sure did, Your Honor. (laughs) <laughs> and McCloskey stood by his actions and he said, I do it again. The candidate said from the courthouse steps following the hearing. Uh, anytime the mob approaches me, I'll do whatever I can to put them in imminent threat of physical injury because that's what kept them from destroying my house and my family. He said he tweeted tonight. Let me be clear. I am not surrendering any of my other firearms. I will continue to be one of the strongest advocates for the Second Amendment in Missouri and around the country. The two weapons that were seized from me were evidence in a criminal case per the state of Missouri. They are to be incinerated. Those are the only two we're giving up. Right. So, so he's not he's not giving up everything. No. It's just, just, uh, just the two that were involved with this incident, he says. Exactly. So, um, but yeah. You know, all right. As long as he doesn't have to give up his, uh, you know, give up everything that he has. Which, you know, he can, he can replace those pretty easily. Yeah, before we go, the last thing I'll say is if you haven't gone to our Facebook page today to see this video of this viral video of this father at the school board talking about critical race theory and how he has, um, if he's been held down by anybody uh, of the opposite race, how is it that he has two medical degrees? Uh, it's a fantastic speech. It's probably the best video you'll see today. It's on our Facebook page. 
I'd go there now and watch it. All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the live from Studio 6B audience. We'll wrap it up tomorrow night on a Friday night. Full crew will be here. We'll see you then, 8 p.m. We'll see you then. Have a good night.